and uh, the the theme of worship is what we're talking about today. So I'm excited to talk about it. Hey, before we get into this message, I uh, just want to give you just kind of a quick sort of announcement, I guess. But every February, uh, we open up the window wide for core membership. Now, if you attend Renaissance Church every Sunday or somewhat regularly, you might think you're a member, but you're actually not a member. Okay, there's, there's a little bit of a distinction. Um, I mean, anyone's welcome to come here. We have all kinds of different people who come and visit and just are part of us for a while. But core membership is to kind of take that step into a commitment, you know, that scary word of commitment. But it's just making a commitment to say, yeah, this is my church, and I want to play my, play my part in this church, and I want to go deep. And it helps us because we look to core members to be our uh, volunteers and our servants in different ministries and uh, obviously uh, for leadership as well. Um, so there's more I could say about that. I could preach a whole message and have in the past on core membership. But I'm just spreading the invite out. And if you're wondering, well, what does it require? Like, what am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to do like a million things? Maybe I can't, uh, maybe I'm not qualified to be a core member. We have a series that, that we did, um, I don't even know how long ago, maybe three or four years ago, called REN 101. And you can find it on our website. And it just gets into the it kind of gets into the history of the church, the vision of the church, the ethos, the theology of Renaissance Church. Uh, to Basically, it's there to help you to make an intelligent decision to you know, determine whether you should be a core member or not. My last newsletter, um, maybe a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think it was, I, I gave some, I kind of laid out some reasons why people... Uh, decide not to become members and kind of helped you to say, well, some of those reasons are good and some of those are not so good. Uh, so if you're part of us this morning and if you're uh, not a core member, we just were inviting you to step in and to become a core member. Um, how to do that? You can just talk to us about it. You can, well, there's a few different ways to do it. Um, you can, there's a form, basically a simple form that you fill out. We call it a core profile that helps us to get to know you. We hear a little bit about your story, a little bit about your, just kind of your, your life. Um, and the elders of the church kind of review that. It's not so much a, you know, it's not like an application that you're trying out, you know, to be, you know, like see if you make the cut. If, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you love Jesus and you want to grow in Christ, um, we're going to welcome you. Uh, you know, we don't put like a lot of strict requirements on members because, listen, if you're a member of the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, if you're a Christian, that means you're a member of the body of Christ, right? So if for us, that's good enough for us. <laughs> if you're a member of, if Jesus accepts you as a member of his universal body of Christ, then we will accept you too. So I want you to think, oh man, I don't want to apply for this thing and I'm going to get rejected. I've had too much rejection in my life. It's not like that. Um, and, and, and by the way, we don't police things either. You know, we're not like, okay, now that you're a member, we're going to like be all in your business and figure out, you know, if you'd make one wrong move, you just, we're going to crush you. Uh, it's not like that. It's really an invitation to join us broken people 
who are, you know, struggling and we're trying to just grow in Jesus. Um, this is meant to be done together. Amen? Amen. The Lord designed this to be done together. The Lord designed our walk with Jesus to be done in community. Um, so I, again, just invite you. I could talk more about that. You could go to the welcome table, talk to those guys, talk to any of the staff, talk to me. Um, we can kind of give you more information about that. Um, but again, we'll talk about this, you know, probably every week for the next few weeks. You can become a core member at any time during the year and people do. Um, but usually February, because it's sort of the beginning of the year, we really talk about it a lot and, and kind of, you know, put the strong invitation out there. Amen. All right. So today we're starting a new series. It's just a, a short series, a three-part series on worship. And we're going to look at different aspects of worship. And I'm really excited about this. Um, today we're going to look at specifically how we worship God with our time. All right, because worship is more than just singing. We did worship through song just a few minutes ago, right? And it was beautiful, and the Spirit of God was with us, and I think the Lord was pleased. But we don't just worship God 30 minutes a week, right? We worship God with all that we are, our breath, our life, everything, every aspect of who we are, all that we've been given, we give back to God in worship. And one of the things that we have all been given is time. And that's what we're going to talk about. I want to start off with uh, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then Revelation 22, verses three to five. This is speaking about the future city. This is actually the last chapter in the Bible and is speaking of that glorious city that is going to come down, that God is preparing for us, a city designed and built by God himself. And this is just a piece of the description. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. That's us. His servants, his redeemed ones will be there and we will worship him. And I think this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and night, and, and night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is our destiny. It's not just something we do uh, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning every week. You know, if we're in town, some weeks we're not there. So it's like, you know, I don't know, 60, 90 minutes a month that we're worshiping God. No, this is, this is our whole life. This is why we were created. This is how God does it. We are designed for worship. And this is the thing that we are going to do for eternity. You know, there's certain things that will cease, Right? 
there, there are certain things that when we die, uh, I don't think we're going to have to evangelize anymore. You know, we're not going to be like involved in doing mission work anymore. Like those things will end. But the thing that we're going to continue to do is worship. And maybe some of us think, oh, that means we're going to sing from morning till night every single day. Um, I don't know. Maybe, probably Deborah will be. Uh, but you know, I'm sure that we're gonna, there's gonna be songs in heaven, but really everything we do will be worship. If we're eating and drinking, it will be worship. If we're making things, it will be worship. That's why scripture says, even now, whatever you do, right, do for the glory of God, do as an act of worship. The simplest mundane things, changing a diaper. And the most mystical, spiritual things that we might do, like just, you know, seeking God in his presence and just, you know, singing songs to him, it can all be and should be worship. And then David uh, already quoted this verse, actually, John 4, 23 to 24, the hour is coming and is now here because Jesus is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And this could be a whole message itself, but I think the, the, the simple idea here is that, that we worship in a way that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and in a way that understands the knowledge of God. Right? There's not an ignorance about us. There's not just a, a human love that we're trying to love God with. No, the Spirit of God has come upon us and has enabled us to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what new birth is all about, regeneration is all about. And he says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the essence of worship is to give to God. Uh, like Deborah's song, actually, you know, I forgot how the lyric went again, but I was actually meditating on that idea this week. Like nobody can worship for us. We can have the most amazing worship leader, but they can't force us to worship, like we choose to work. It's something that we decide to give to God. Um, and it could be a song or it could be anything. Like I said, it's a lifestyle. Worshiping God is a lifestyle. It's giving God all different kinds of things. Today, we're gonna talk about time, but there's other things that we can give to God, like our talents, our resources, our money. Money, how we uh, relate to money, how we give, or if we're stingy, all of that determines our worship. It's very easy to think that, you know, uh, that, that, that maybe if we're moved uh, by a song, whether it's in a church or, you know, moved by songs in our car and maybe moved to tears, that, man, that makes us a great worshiper. No, actually, it's much more practical than that. You are a great worshiper. Your great worship is determined by what you do with what you've been given. What we do with what we have. And again, we all kind of have talents. God's given us talents. God's given us money. God's given us resources. And maybe you say, well, I don't have much money. Well, that doesn't matter. 
Neither did the, the widow, right, in the story um, where she just gave a couple coins. She gave, you know, kind of all she had. Jesus was deeply moved and pleased uh, by her extravagant gift of like two little coins, right? So it's, it's not about how much compared to other people you give of time or money or, or talent or these kinds of things. It's not a compare, comparison thing at all, but it's what do we do with what we've been given? That determines the kind of worship that we give to God. Now, it has to be stressed uh, from the beginning when we're talking about worship that it must be from a right heart. Uh, we know from reading the New Testament that there were a lot of highly religious people who were worshiping God with their lips, right? Do, you know, great offerings that were given and they were giving money and time and devotion and they were at the temple constantly, but Jesus wasn't impressed at all by them. Why? Because their heart wasn't right. They were doing it for the wrong reason. They were doing it for the wrong motives. Uh, Isaiah, Jesus quotes Isaiah when he talks about, you know, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So true worship aims to please the Lord. Uh, True worship lives in a way that displays that God is worthy, worthy to be lived for. So worship kind of ranges from, it could be lame. It, it could actually even be grievous to the Lord. Um, or it could be beautiful. And I'll give you a couple examples. In Malachi, for example, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, it says, this is God speaking. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, Is that not evil? And God is being a little sarcastic here. Jacob Skillen, right? You like this? Yeah, we we love the sarcasm. God says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord. And this is heavy. God says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. That's intense. God's like, you know what? I wish somebody would just close down the church because none of your activities, your religious activities and songs and prayers and all the, you know, this religious stuff that you guys do. None of it is pleasing to me. Shut the doors. I wish somebody would shut the doors because I have no pleasure in you and I will not accept an offering from your hand. That's all about the heart. See, it's not just about the outward activities. You know, we, could, we could sing songs all day long. We could do religious things all day long, but the heart needs to be right. And then on the other side, there's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 38, and I won't give the whole story, but one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and they're having this meal. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, kind of an you know, notable sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of anointment, like a box of perfume that was very expensive, 
a year's wages. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, she was weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. It's a beautiful picture. And it clearly, as you read the scriptures, moved. It moved the heart of God. It moved Christ. So worship is not all the same. You know, there is worship that is lame and even grievous to God. And there is worship that, I I get excited about this, that we could actually do something that can move the heart of God, right? I mean, isn't that kind of, I mean, God the infinite one, the holy one, the uncreated creator, like the, the one who's all powerful and all knowing that us little puny little pieces of dust, you know, that have breath in it, that we could actually decide something or do something or give something that would actually like take the breath of God away. It would actually move him. Uh, I mean, what could be greater than that? than to move the heart of God by our worship. So why do we worship God? Let's just think about that for a minute. And this, again, could be a whole message in itself, but I just want to address it because it's important when we think about the the reasons, like the underlying, what moves us to, to, to worship God. I'll just give you a few verses. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We worship God because it is fitting to worship him. It is fitting, right, to just give back to him, to, to glorify him, to, 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 to have this response that is like, wow. There should be an awe. There should be a reverence. There should be like, take, take everything I have. You are God. So when we see who God is, that is the fitting response. It doesn't mean we have to respond there. Uh, there are people who have had incredible revelations of who God is, and they have walked away and rejected that. And I could think of many examples of people. I was thinking about somebody just recently who was just, you know, would come into this place and would be moved and be even moved to tears at times. But at the end of the day, they said, I'm not serving God. And they did their own thing. They lived their life the way they wanted to live it. So just because we're touched, just because we're moved to tears, just because God in his mercy lavishes his presence upon us and even awakens us to the glory of Jesus doesn't mean anything. We haven't done anything yet. That's all him. That's all his initiating grace in our life, his touch. We have to respond to that. Worship. We haven't worshiped yet. We've just been lavished by the love of God. But we have to then turn and say, okay, like the Apostle Paul said, right? Or Saul turned to Paul, said what? What would you have me to do, Lord? That's worship. Hebrews 12, uh, verses 28 to 29 says this. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We worship because we are grateful. We are so grateful. I'm thinking of uh, our small community gathering on Sunday night. Um, we were in the, in the City Love room with, uh, with Max and Josie and, and, and Heidi and, and Charlie. And Heidi was just, just 
could not express gratitude enough. It was like so much gratitude was just streaming through her. And it was like impacting me. I was like, wow, this is like, this is it, man. We are so thankful for the breath, for the life, for the salvation that we have, for all the good things. Like what would we have? We would have nothing. Anything good in your life comes from above. When you start to realize that, that yeah, uh, when even for me, like I realize I'm not dead. I should be dead when I think about the lifestyle that I lived as a young adult. Like I should be dead. I should have died in a car accident, a drug overdose, you know, a fight, whatever it was. I am alive. <sighs> like thank you, God. We worship Him out of gratitude, out of who He is, but also out of what He's done. For us. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, you know, therefore, glorify God with your body. So the idea there is ownership. Like he's like, look, you know, we were, we were a mess. Here's the picture. We were, we were like lying in a pool of blood by the side of the road. Like we were lost. We were guilty. We were covered in our stains of sin. And the Holy Spirit in his mercy comes and brings us to life. Gives us a new name. Cleans us up. Gives us a place at the table. Makes us sons and daughters. And purchases us. He buys us. We're redeemed. Therefore, we're his. The fitting response to that is, here I am, Lord. Take all that I am. Everything about me. How, how kind of ridiculous almost to, that God himself like gave his life. He came down. He was crucified. He was just all that Jesus suffered, right? The, the price of our purchase. It was expensive to God. It was free to us, right? But it was expensive to God. He spilled his own blood. He subjected himself to suffering in this world. He lived a perfect life. He resisted sin. He lived that perfect righteous life and then was slaughtered on a tree, crucified. Why? Because that blood that he shed purchased us how crazy that he would do that and buy us and we would say, yeah, I'm gonna now give you 10% of my life. You hear what I'm saying? It's not fitting. That would be weird. That would be insulting. It is just, it's fitting for us to say, all that I am is yours. My time, my money. You know, sometimes we get, I mean, this is the, Message I'll give in a couple weeks, but like, oh, I'm going to give God 10% of my money. Yeah, maybe it does play out that way, but listen, it's all his. It's all his. You don't own anything. All the stuff you have in your house, guess what? It's not yours, and it's not mine. Like, we don't own anything. Yes, in a natural sense, if somebody steals something from you, I know you can, you know, you can have them arrested or whatever, and I, I get that, but it's all God's. All the time, all the talent that you have, all the beauty that you have, all the resources you have, 
all the material things, every dollar you have in savings, all that you have stored up in retirement, guess what? It's all God's. And you know, when we stop fighting that, we're just like, yeah, it's all God's. Do whatever you want with it, Lord. Help yourself to all of it. Wow, is there a peace and a joy that is in that. When we're holding on, okay, you know, I want to go to heaven, but I just, you know, I don't want to like give God, just I only want to give half of, you know, maybe, okay, he can have this, but not this. He can have this, but not this and this, because this is mine. I'm going to control this, but he can have this. You will never have peace if you live in that, that kind of way, that kind of mindset. The peace comes when you, you just say, it's all yours. It's all yours. Let's talk specifically about stewardship of time. Now, stewardship really just means to manage something, right? So the stewardship of time is a practical expression of our worship to God, okay? Here's some ways that we use time. Sleeping, working. It was fun making this list. Eating, buying groceries, paying bills, doing dishes, praying, reading the word, attending church, making disciples, connecting with a neighbor, scrolling social media, listening to a podcast, tending a garden, napping. Some of you will do that today. Walking, waiting in line, driving, changing diapers. Some of you have already done that several times today. Rocking a child, teaching a child to tie their shoes, watching a football game, making art, practicing an instrument, serving the poor, daydreaming. I do a lot of that. Planning, writing, caring for an ill parent, traveling, enjoying a parade, exploring a museum, watching a movie, reading a magazine, making a snack, buying a gift, and thousands of other things occupy our time. These are things that we do with our time. And I'm not talking about, and I guess we could have a whole another list of sinful things, but we're, we're kind of just talking about good things, you know, things that just are fine to do, that we kind of need to do. Um, good things. But I think when we think about how to spend our time, we can't just ask this question, is it okay? Right? Is it sinful to do this particular activity. But we have to think about proportion. Like, for example, if I could ask the question, do you think it's wrong for a husband to, maybe a husband of a wife and maybe several kids in the house, is it wrong for a husband to, um, after work one day, uh, go hang out with his buddies and watch some football and come home late? No, that's fine to, to do that, right? That's a good thing. That could be building relationship with his friends and catching up and having a fun time of rest. It's good for um, men to have friends with men. But proportion, right? If he was doing that every single night after work, we would know that that is way off. And you could apply that to anything, right? Proportion matters. Proportion matters. It's not wrong 
it's probably fine in the grand scheme of things to eat a deep fried Twinkie. You know, like at a carnival or something, I guess. I mean, one, I think one could kill you. But, but I mean, you might just be like, all right, this is ridiculous and indulgent, but I'm just going to try this. You know, it's my birthday or whatever. And you, you know, you eat this thing. But eating those every day, that's bad, right? Proportion matters. So we can't just ask, is this thing that I'm going to spend time on, is it okay? Is it permissible? Or even is it good? There's a lot of good things that take away from the best things. Are we prioritizing the most important things, like seeking him and building his church and reaching the lost and serving the poor and making disciples and caring for our families and even tending to our basic responsibilities. You know, sometimes it's like we can be super spiritual. I'm at the prayer meeting. Well, maybe you actually need to like get some groceries in the fridge, you know, because you're, so your family can eat. You know, there's practical things. We have responsibilities to take care of. All these things play a role. But scripture plays, places different weights on different activities. For example, you know how it says, uh, Bodily exercise is profitable, right? Is, I think, a, a little profitable. But holiness is profitable for all things. I think it says both in this life and the life to come. It's not saying that exercise is wrong. It's not saying that it's not profitable. It is, it is profitable. But the pursuit and the exercise of godliness and holiness is more profitable. It gives more weight to that, more importance to that. And we need to pay attention to the weight that scripture gives to to certain things. There's a right time and a wrong time to do things. Even something as good as praying can be wrong if the Lord is calling us to, let's say, visit a loved one who is in the hospital, right? We're like, well, I'm praying. Prayer's important. And we're like just in the prayer. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, I want you to go visit your aunt right now. So it's really about being led by the Spirit and, and really listening to God, discerning what he wants us to do and when he wants, wants us to do it. Another example would be... Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're like worshiping. We're having this great time of worship. We're singing songs. We're in our car. You know, tears are coming down. The Holy Spirit, you know, we feel like the Holy Spirit, we're being moved, right? But the thing is, we were supposed to be back from lunch 20 minutes ago. But the boss is out of town, so he's not going to, he's not even going to know, all right? How many know that's, that's, that's way off, right? That's way off. There's a time to sing. There's a time to pray. There's a time to work. There's a time for everything under the sun, right? Ecclesiastes 3, there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I won't read the whole thing. That's about half of it. But I think the point there is that there's, there's a time to do everything under the sun. There's variety 
and we need to pay attention. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Romans 12 kind of talks about this. You know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's talking about how we live our lives, how we spend our time. What is good and acceptable and perfect? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm gonna, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, but it's, I don't think it'll hurt you. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a very interesting uh, portion. The appointed time has grown very short. This is all about time and how we live. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. I had so much fun sharing that verse with my wife this week. <laughs> hey, listen to this. <laughs> she was like, yeah, that's great. All right, let's let the Holy Spirit interpret that. Okay. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What does that mean? He's talking about urgency. He's, the point there is don't be too attached to anything in this present world because it's all passing away. He's saying live in the light of eternity because you are going to blink and you are going to stand before the living God. Live in such a way that you know you are going to stand before God in a short time. For some of us, it could be today. It could be this week. It could be this year. It could be next year. We don't know how many time, how, how many days we have left, which leads me to this next portion in Psalm 90. It says this. This is the Psalm of Moses, actually. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. We die. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And then he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Sometimes I take things very literally. So 365 days in a year, 3,650 days in a decade. Um, I've calculated that I have about 10,000 days left to live, give or take. I mean, it could be, I could die today, all right? Somebody could run up here and kill me right now, and I'd be glad, because I'd be with Jesus. This seems to be a theme lately. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, I think the average age is... 76 um, for Americans. Uh, I think women are predicted to live a little longer than, than men. But this is, the point is like, this is a short run. This thing is over fast. And wait till you turn 50. You think, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, it just feels like, oh my gosh, life is like so long. You hit 50, it is literally, you're coming down the backside of the hill. It is like, right? You know, some of you are smiling. Like, I mean, you're like, okay, this thing, we're heading down the other, we're heading down the other side. And you're just starting to look at, whoa, okay, this, there's an expiration date. It's short. Every day is a gift. 
Realize the brevity. Every day is an opportunity to worship. May we not waste one day. Ephesians 5 says this, look carefully then how you walk or how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You can see why Paul said at times that our lives are no longer our own. Paul even called himself a bond slave of Jesus. We are free from sin, right? But we are bound to the will of God. James 4 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. This is just making up an example. You know, James is just kind of making a general example. We're going to just go out and just, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this thing. But James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The point here is that we can't just do what we want. Those days are over. Like I live 21 years like that. I'm going to do what I want, when I want to do it. I'm just, I'm not listening to anybody. I'm not obeying anybody. I'm not under anybody's rule. I am my own ruler and I'm going to just do whatever I feel like doing whenever I want to do it. When I came to Christ, that ended and I put myself under the lordship of the master. And now, Lord, I'm yours. Send me where you want to send me. Use me how you want to use me. That's true Christianity. How then should we live? All right, I'm going to end with some practical, practical thoughts. If you're taking notes, you could, you could probably write these in your Bible, I'm going to zip through them. Uh, I think there's six of them. The first one is this, practical thoughts. How do we live this out? Pray to have God's burden. If we are not filled with the Spirit and filled with God's love, we will not even care about doing His will. We will be ruled by selfish desires for comfort, amusement, and pleasure. In fact, if our hearts, listen, if our hearts are not broken for the things that break God's heart, but we engage in outward acts of worship and religion, we will not be able to sustain it. In fact, we will even become resentful toward God for sort of making us do these things. You have to get your heart right first. Number two, determine what's most important and put those things into your schedule first. Your Google calendar, if you use that, first. The reality is that a lot of things pull at our time and we need to make choices. So before you step into a week, listen, it's Sunday, we're about to step into a week, right? Block out times to do the things that are most important. Again, I'm talking about things like praying, reading the word, caring for your family, being with your family, building the church, making disciples, loving your neighbor, helping the poor, serving the lost. What are the most important things? If we don't prioritize these things, they weren't, they're not gonna happen. 
I'll tell you that right now. They will not happen. We will be swept along by a flood of trivial things that drain our time. We have to fight to do the things that are most important. You have to intentionally carve out time. Do the most important things first. And if there's time left over, then do whatever. Do, do lesser things. Good things must be cut away in order to do the best things. 2 Timothy 2, 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. All right, number three, don't compare, I already touched on this, but don't compare the way you use your time to the way others do. God's will and expectation is different for each of us, right? Depending on our particular season, uh, the responsibilities we have, how much surplus time we possess, I mean, if you're a parent with like three kids, it's like you're going to have a, a lot less surplus time than, than I did when I was 22 years old living in New York City and was working 20 hours a week and had like the rest of the time just to do ministry and pray. So it's about what are you doing with what you've been given? And don't compare yourself to anybody else. Number four, watch for internal things that drain your time and especially your energy. Specifically, sin, of course. Like, sin is the biggest waste of time, right? It bears no fruit. And usually, if you sin and it's a sin that you commit that takes five minutes to commit, how many know it's like, it's not five minutes? Like, then the next uh, month, you're dealing with the, 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 you know, just the shrapnel of it. You're dealing with the, just the garbage of it. You have to work through all the guilt of it and the confusion of it. It's, it never is fruitful. It's always going to cost you way more than you think it's going to cost you. And Hebrews 12 puts that, you know, the metaphor of running that race. And, you know, the picture is almost like you're running this race and you're doing this swift race. And then you, sin is like the thing that tangles you. It's like you, you step on a you step on a net. Have you ever stepped on a net, right? And you, you just you're, you get all tangled in it, and you trip, and you can't you can't move, and you can't. It's like caught on your foot, and you're dragging the net along with you, but you're still putting all this energy into the into the race. That's how sin is. It just slows us down. It drains us, and to the point where David in one of his psalms says, "It's like the." Like sin and even the discipline of God, it, it puts us in a place spiritually where we are, you know, like the summertime, even in certain parts of the world, where it's just so hot that it just saps your strength, right? You can, it's like hard to even move through the, through the day because there's just so much humidity and so much heat. It just sucks the, the energy right out of you. That's exactly what sin does in our life. Watch out for those things. Also, bitterness. It's amazing how much time and energy internally we can expend on just being angry at somebody. Man, let it go. Even for your own sake, I mean, for their sake, you should forgive them because Jesus forgave you, right? And it's a good thing. But even just how much it can drain our energy. Stay light, be forgiving. If somebody hurts you, listen, somebody is going to hurt you, and there'll probably be somebody close to you. And just let it go. 
Let it, I'm not saying that's easy, but just, yeah, spend a day. I mean, don't hold on to stuff. It will, it will suck the strength out of you so fast. If you hang on to bitterness for two weeks, you'll be ruined. You'll feel so far from God, you won't even know like how to get back. That's how it's going to feel. Like you cannot hold on to bitterness. All right, let me give you these last two. Number five, count the cost before committing to things. It's so easy, especially for me, to be inspired to help people or to learn something new or be involved in some new project. Sometimes we make decisions, kind of impulsive decisions even about things without realizing that this thing we are saying yes to might rob us from other things that are the most important things. I'm talking about decisions to... Uh, like have our kids in a traveling sports team or, you know, even just traveling, how much time and energy it costs and money it costs to travel. <laughs> Taking on a second job because we just really need more money. Uh, certain kinds of vocations, renovation projects. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm just saying count the cost first before you just, all right, we're doing this thing. Because you can't do that. You have to like really think about it. Well, if we're going to do this, then it's, we're not going to be able to do this and we're not going to be able to do that. Is that a good decision? Like we need to be prayerful about these things. Just because the typical American family or the typical American is just doing different things, well, everyone's doing this. So we're going to do it too because we want to be normal. We, we can't just do what everyone else is doing. We're marching to the beat of a different drum. And we have to discern what the will of God is for our lives and for our families. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. That's pretty practical. And this is the last. No, actually, there's two more. Sorry. <laughs> Don't procrastinate. I'll be quick on this one. Don't procrastinate on the most important things. It's good to know what the most important things, but it's very easy to say, once I finish school, oh, man, then I'm going to have time. Once I get married, then I'll really engage in kingdom priorities. Once I make enough money and I can just kind of get, have more room, then I can, you know, once the children are older, once I finish this kitchen renovation, then I'm really going to spend more time. In Don't do that. Because what you'll find is after you get to the end of that tunnel, you won't even have the desire to spend time with God. No, you need to do it today. Whatever your load is, whatever, however, you have 15 kids, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, we need to seek God first and now, like today and tomorrow and the next day. No matter what our load is, we're like, you know, grad students, we just have a huge load of home. Like, that's all fine. There's a place to do all the things that God has called us to do. But put God first in your schedule. Lastly, number seven, don't expect this to be easy. Doing the most important things and doing them really well will be met with resistance from your own flesh, from your own inner carnal nature, all right? From invisible forces, demonic powers. As soon as you set your, I remember my old pastor used to say all the time, as soon as you set your heart to go all the way with Jesus, it's like all hell is gonna break loose. As long as you continue to cultivate a lukewarm Christian life, the devil doesn't even care about that. He's happy. He's just cheering you on from the sidelines. Good job. 
Good job. No, it's when we get serious about putting God first, seeking God first, that's when we start to feel some resistance from hell and from people, honestly. Uh, There are people in our lives who really don't care about God's will that will make demands on us and be very displeased if we don't do what they want us to do, even though we're following God's will. So you're going to feel all that. But I think our biggest problem is our carnal nature. We're sinful, and there's a fleshly nature in us that wars against the spiritual nature, right? It says that in 1 Peter 2. And the flesh lusts against the spirit. There's a battle within. talks about that in Galatians 5. So my last word on this matter is this. Depend constantly on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let your heart and life be ruled by the desires of the Spirit. And you'll find, here's the good news, you'll find that doing the most important things are a delight. Really, when you, when you start to really grow in your walk with God and you, 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 you waste you know, a half an hour scrolling through social media, uh, how many know you just kind of feel sick after? You're like, ah, that's not, I don't want to do that anymore. That's just not, it doesn't feel good. I'm not delighting in this. That feels like a waste of time. Um, I, I want to do the things that are most important. And listen, it doesn't mean like every second of every day, like there's like, you know, the Holy Spirit's micromanaging everything. There's time to rest. There's time to take a nap. There's time to, you can watch the football game tonight, all right? You know, I don't want to like, uh, for those of you, you know, you should be seeking God, praying for the nations tonight, you know, like during the Super Bowl. No, there, whatever. There's a time to, to do fun things and it's God's will for us to have recreation and just to, to enjoy God creates things for us to enjoy. But again, like we just, we take, we're Americans, some of us, you know, so we take everything to an extreme. Oh, well, God's, you know, wants us to enjoy these tacos. So let's eat like thousands of them, like all the time. Like that's just, you know, well, more is just must be better. You know, it's like, how could you? No, there's proportion, proportion. Amen. Amen. I think you guys got it. It's a simple message, really. Where's uh, Nicole? Oh, here she comes. Okay. Nicole's going to close us out. Thank you guys for listening. Um, You guys are a great audience. Thank you again to Deborah for gracing us with that beautiful song. But Nicole's going to close us out just with a couple thoughts and maybe close us in prayer or whatever.